listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast. what we like to call the Tour de France OM pretty much seemingly wrapped up. I think it's a good time for us all to look forward to what should be a humdinger of a battle at the Tour de France FAM. Uh, so that's why the, the cycling podcast Feminine is kind of hijacking the kilometre zero today to give you a bit of a preview, a bit of a taste of the runners and riders and the stages that are going to be coming up next week uh, when the Tour de France FAM starts on Sunday. So my name is Rose Manley. I'm the presenter of the cycling podcast Feminine and I'm joined by Denny Gray, a new, new-ish voice uh, to the podcast uh, of British continental fame. Well, I can't really say fame, Denny, can I? Because you're a kind niche. of, you're kind of a quietly pulling the strings, aren't you, at the British continental? That's right. Yeah. But hello, Rose. I won't say welcome this time. <laughs> no, that was good. At the Girodone uh, Arrive, uh, Denny welcomed me to uh, the podcast that I've been on for a few years now. But I'm delighted to be joined also by Lizzie Banks, who we've heard you on the regular pod. Lizzie, we've had to like tear you away from the regular pod to get you back over here, haven't we? I know, I defected. I defected very briefly, but now I am back. Do not worry, listeners. I will not be going back to the Tour de France home again. <laughs> no. No, I had a brilliant time over there, um, but it's uh, it's great to be great to be back with you, Rose, and also great to have my voice back. So I'm very sorry to all the listeners who had to put up with a very croaky Lizzie for a few days, but uh, voice is back, and I'm back where I should be on the tour de, on the cycling podcast from now. Now, uh, you, I know, but we did. I mean, we stole you from Service Course, so we can't really have too many claims on you. But Lizzie, uh, you and I did the. Tour de France fam, although remotely, wasn't it, last year I was on the ground uh, for the inaugural Tour de France fam, well, the, the first Tour de, women's Tour de France in its current form last year, uh, and we were calling you up with Rook uh, every night, but how astounding was it that having that race, I mean, at that point we didn't know what to expect from it, now going into this year we kind of know what to expect, we know that it's important uh, to the riders and, and to the viewers as well. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely changed the game for women's cycling. And I think that we very much suspected this was going to happen. But the response to the the first, yeah, let's just call it the first Tour de France femme, um, was, was huge. And I'm wondering whether the Netflix effect of the men's Tour de France will actually have an impact on side of the road crowds for the women's Tour de France, in addition to, you know, it being the second event as well. Um, I really hope so, uh, because because I think that the race deserves it. Um, and there definitely seems to be the appetite there. The name of the Tour de France, you know, brings so many people in. And I think it's going to be another furious battle this year. And I think it's going to be a lot, lot closer than last year. So um, we'll be talking all about that over the next, yeah, the next hour or so. Hour or so. Might be oh, here for hours a few hours. hours. <laughs> Just to warn over the you. next Just five warn you hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, Denny, for you watching yeah, at home last year, at you know, what was it like? What was kind of your takeaway from, from that spectacle? Yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, we'd had La, La Course, which I guess had its ups and downs over, the, over its uh, existence. And so I guess it was with some nervous trepidation that we were watching it last year. Um, but I think it's fair to say everyone was, you know, more than pleasantly surprised by how it turned out, not just... 
the the exciting racing we had on the, on on the roads, but also the, the fans, the following. We there's a report out by Zwift uh, recently that said there was a cumulatively two, 23.2 million viewers for for the Tour de France fam last year. So it's already become very popular, um, and hopefully this year it will just go from strength to strength. Yeah, it's interesting there, Denny, you referencing the course, because obviously that was a one-day race that developed from being uh, a Champs-Élysées sprint, effectively on the same day as the men doing the Champs-Élysées sprint, and then became a, a one-day, almost like a, a, well, there was a brief use of a, a time trial once, wasn't there? But, there, but then it became a, a one-day hill climb, uh, pretty much, which was one in spectacular fashion by uh, Annemiek van Vluten. And we are getting that element back a bit this year, aren't we? Because we are getting the the Tourmalet, which is the going to be stage seven. It's going to be the second to last mm. stage. Um, how of much more... Oh, it's going to have a huge effect, isn't it, Lizzie? On the... That, unbelievably, is a dog. <laughs> That's terrifying. Oh, you wouldn't... You wouldn't... You wouldn't get that if you took your cat to the pub, would you? <laughs> <laughs> that was the strangest sound I'd ever heard. But um, yes, Lizzie. Yeah, that wasn't the me. Tourmal- that was actually a dog answering the question. Um, <laughs> Lizzie, yes. the tourmaline's going to have a huge influence, isn't it, on the whole shape of the, the race? Yes, exactly. It, it's a funny tour because it's eight stages. We have the Col d'Aspin and Col de Tourmalet double coming in the seventh stage with the final stage being a time trial. And I think that this poses a bit of a challenge for a lot of the GC riders because any GC riders who aren't strong in the time trial are, want to going, are going to want to take time before that Tourmalet stage. But everybody's going to be itchy. Nobody's going to want to let anybody get away. There are quite a number of bonus sprints on a number of the stages, which may stifle a lot of breakaways. Um, and also within that race, you know, you've got the races for the for the Queen of the Mountains. And so I wonder how the GC riders are going to balance it. And I think it's going to be really, really difficult for those GC riders who aren't strong in the time trial to be able to take time, time before that Tourmalet stage, which will be critical for them. Um, but the the bonus of having the race set up like this is that it's not decided until the end. We just don't know what's going to happen in the time trial. I mean, I was over at the Tour de France Homme just a couple of days ago watching watching the men's time trial where we thought that it was going to be close and it was anything. But you simply don't know what's going to happen, especially after a very hard day like like they're going to have on, on stage seven. Um, there'll be a long transfer to the finish. It will depend how the riders will have recovered going into the eighth stage. So it's going to keep that excitement going right to the end. Um, but I think I think we're going to see quite a battle in the first six stages, trying to get seconds wherever GC riders can, going for those bonus seconds, trying to potentially split the group early, maybe trying to attack. Um, and it should set everything up for a very exciting race. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because ASO, when they've they put out the uh, parkour for the race, I mean, they've... Uh, labelled four of the eight stages as flat um, but you know we know from looking at the previewing the Giro and when I got that totally wrong uh, that because pretty much Annemiek van Vluten made every stage of the Giro uh, a, a GC stage in some respect so a lot of it is going to be how it's raced. Um, Denny for you are you seeing many other opportunities outside of those last two for GC? Yeah I think there are probably two stages to keep an eye on stage two and uh, stage four. Can I just say that Denny's picked out mm-hmm. the two stages that aren't labelled as flat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're talking <laughs> no, about no, no. flat stages. 
Okay. No, I'll let but you, that I'll let you almost, get... That's the level of genius we aspire to on the cycling podcast. <laughs> the the organiser doesn't label it as flat and we label it as GC. So, I mean... <laughs> Someone's got to be right. Yeah. No, Denny, level of insight tell us about, we're um, holding ourselves accountable to. <laughs> about uh, stage two and stage four. Yeah, and I'll try and listen to your questions more carefully next time, Rose. But I, don't, I think I was just... I, maybe I was le- trying to lead you astray there. I'm not sure. Maybe. It was a tr- anyway, a trap. Anyway... There are traps aplenty on stage two and stage four, I'd say, because stage two starts with 30 kilometres of climbing um, up to what we think is called the Col de Guerry. Um, and as we saw during the Giro d'Orne, um, Annemiek van Bluten is the type of rider that won't wait uh, for stage seven, I suspect. Um, she'll be wanting, I think, to take time whenever she can. So I'm not saying she'll, she's going to attack on that climb, but... There are six categorised climbs on that stage. Um, it finishes on a, a short climb. So we could see the GC beginning to sh- take shape as early as that. And then on stage four, that's a real classic stage. Um, there are five climbs. Four of them are backloaded in the second half of the stage. It's the longest stage of the race at 177.1 kilometres. So very, very long. And it's got a very steep uphill finish, 13% uh, to, to Rode. And that was on the same climb that was used in the 2017 uh, Tour de France Om that Michael Matthews won uh, just ahead of Van Avermaet, Bosenhagen, um, Gilbert. So you can see already the type of riders that that, that finish is going to favour. And obviously on the women's side of the peloton, uh, when you have the likes of Demi Vollering winning all of the classics and being a GC contender, that's kind of very promising for her. You know, we, we have less kind of... Um, there's less delineation between the classics riders and the GC riders on there on the women's peloton, so that that seems pretty promising. Uh, uh, Lizzie, we have all of these supposedly flat stages, and we have uh, in Lorena Vibus a, a rider who has proven herself uh, as someone who can get over the climbs as well. Is there any way of seeing it uh, going any other way for those flat stages? Yeah, it. It is difficult to look past her, especially seeing her, you know, in the flesh, how well she was climbing at the Giro. And this is a different race. Um, There is a different field. The stages are much longer, which changes the dynamic of the race. But I think that there are no other sprinters that will be climbing as well as Vibas. It's kind of scary how well she's climbing. I think the difficulty may be that SD Works have a very split team. And there are some finishes that really suit Lorena Vibas, but they are finishes that where Demi Vollering could also possibly take a time bonus. So how do they balance that power there? What do they go for? Do they, do they put all their eggs in the stage basket win? Or do they actually think, well, is there a risk that we are not going to take enough time later in the race and we want to put Demi in that position? So I think that's going to be a really difficult thing to balance for them because they didn't come here with a pure climbing team. They came here with very much, not even half and half actually, more weighted to the sprint side, I would say. I mean, it is like, Lizzie, like every single race and stage we've had this year where it seems like SD Works have got something, an option. Uh, and let's not forget, they're also bringing Lottie Kopecky. They don't just have Lorena Vibus. Mm-hmm. Anything that Lorena Vibus can't do, Lottie Kopecky is sure to, to mop up, isn't she? Yeah, exactly. But that's the same dilemma with Kopecky versus Vollering in who do you go for for the finish if, if Vollering has the chance of taking those bonus seconds as well. And part of that SD Works lineup is Marlon Reusser. Let's hear from her. 
at the moment I'm at home waiting for my super good Tour de France taxi, which is Damie Wollering and her boyfriend that live, they live also in Switzerland and pick me up with their camper. They travel with, by camper and then we should arrive tonight. And of course, we are looking forward. Um, we didn't yet speak about our tactics in the team. I think we will do it when we're all together just before the race. Of course, the main goal will be to uh, grab yellow and uh, take home yellow with Damy and to win stages in the sprint with Lorena. Everything else, I don't know. We will see. Um, my personal ambitions were more on the Tour de Suisse. This was the agreement and now on helping the team and then hopefully well winning the, the ITT, the last stage, the individual time trial which is my personal goal. I think the team goal, as I said, is really to have yellow and win stages. Um, yeah. I do think that there could be competition. Normally we would say that Voss would definitely be a big competition there, but given how she was in the Giro, and I know she took two second places there, so she wasn't far off the win, but with her climbing form not looking so sharp in the Giro, perhaps that's because she was more focused on the sprints. I don't think think that Voss will be able to contest Vibas, but the other really big question mark is Balsamo. We know that she had a double fracture of her jaw back in the, the Ride London Classic uh, back in May, and she's actually not raced since then. So this is going to be her first entry back into competition. She's got Ilaria Sanguinetti um, and Loretta Hansen to help with the leadouts, and we all know that Longo Borghini and Dagnan and Brand um, can all play a role in that as well. So we just don't know. We just don't know how Balsamo is, go Balsamo is going to be because an on-form Balsamo really could push Lorena Vibas to the line. It does seem to me, actually, that we have a lot of teams, particularly the big teams, uh, they're not all eggs in one basket, are they? They're, I mean, Little Trek that you're talking about, there, Lizzie, SD Works, uh, even Movistar, they all kind DSM. of have... DSM. They all have multiple... Uh, targets that they're balancing, or at least teams that look like they're balancing multiple targets. Denny, if you ha is that going to work positively? Because, um, I mean, we will come on to talking a bit more about Demi Vollering versus Annemiek van Vluten, which is kind of like the big rivalry. But, you know, having all these teams uh, with such balanced team, uh, such a balanced roster, does that mean that we're not going to see much in terms of GC battles? Uh, we're going to see a lot more perhaps going on in the other classifications? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's no surprise that you have such a kind of uh, diversity of strengths in, in different teams. This is the, the, the Tour de France fam that everyone's been gunning for. So, of course, they've picked their strongest selections. And I think, as Lizzie was saying earlier, because the six stages, the first six stages are... Uh, have so many opportunities actually uh, in, in different ways for, for riders that I think that hopefully opens up the race to some really exciting possibilities. You know, we're not just going to see, you know, six formulaic stages where you can easily predict the outcomes. Okay, yes, there are some stages that look like flat stages on paper, but as we saw at the Giro Donne, anything can happen. And this is now the biggest race in the world. You've got um, several jerseys up for grabs. So I think it will make for you know, a more interesting dynamic and also any team would want to have options wouldn't they because you know you, you know in, in a grand tour a crash from a GC leader or one you know if you put all your eggs in one basket you haven't got any other options for the rest of the tour so I think it makes sense. Yeah well let's talk a little bit about the GC battle the battle for the 
yellow jersey um, because that I think is probably the kind of headline of the race, isn't it? This finally getting to see Annemiek van Vluten versus Demi Vollering. And obviously we have actually one of my classic stats that I will get in a little earlier than I did at the Giro Donne um, review uh, is that we've seen Vollering and Annemiek van Vluten race against each other 18 times and only on three occasions uh, did uh, Annemiek van Vluten actually beat Vollering, which is quite a, an amazing stat. And I mean, really? those three wow. times, yeah, those three times uh, we're talking uh, were all in the Vuelta Femen Femenina. Uh, one of them was just the uh, team time trial, which was by one place, two seconds, Movistar uh, beat SD Works. One of them was stage four, where uh, Van Vluten finished fifth versus 11th following, but it was a sprint, so everyone was together. And the other one was stage six, which was that famous kind of rampage stage when Van Vluten, uh, there was a, you know, a natural break from Demi Vollering and Van Vluten went off on one, basically. Um, so those are the only three times that Van Vluten <laughs> has actually finished ahead of Vollering, which m makes it a really exciting prospect, doesn't it, Lizzie? Yes, definitely. And I think the fact that they are both very good in the TT also keeps it really exciting because we have other GC contenders, Juliette Labrousse, for instance, um, Nivea Doma, Mormon, where their TT is much more uh, un uncertain, let's say, but Van Vluten and Vollering are, well, they are pretty well matched in the climbs. And I think that Vollering has had the upper hand until now. And of course, Vollering wasn't at the Giro, but I do think that we saw Van Vluten take a step up at the Giro. And I think that poises us for a really, really close battle that should come down to the wire. We simply don't know who's, you know, who's going to be better here and the the Aspa and the Tourmalet are much longer climbs than we've seen in any race so far this year so that also gives a different dynamic I think it's going to be very close um I would probably just put Vollering ahead if I were, we're not even asking woman, you to speculate Lizzie look but there she goes I think it's going to be very close oh yeah, sorry it's... sorry yes heading into the realm of ooh <laughs> speculation <laughs> Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like the script of the Vollering versus Van Vluten has flipped so many times. Obviously seeing last year uh, Van Vluten was just totally imperious on the two largest climbs and Planche de Belfi, uh, there at the Tour de France, Fam. Um, there was just no, it, it wasn't even a, a close battle. And then all year Vollering has won so many times. She's been so dominant that pre-Giro uh, Donne, even after Annemiek Van Vluten won, the Vuelta Femenina, uh, it was still kind of like, oh, but Demi Vollering uh, beat her on a number of occasions in that race uh, and still looked like, you know, the strongest climber. And then that narrative since the Giro Donne, which Vollering didn't race, that's totally changed because of the way that Annemiek van Vluten was racing so aggressively that mm. now it, it's definitely it's put the question marks back on Vollering uh, in a way that, that you know, seeing the results of Vollering have got this year, you would never, um, even like a couple of weeks ago, have thought uh, that the favourite could be anyone but Demi Vollering for this. Yeah, and also I think the thing you have to recognise is that whilst Vollering has obviously stepped up a level this year, her climbing seems on a different level. Uh, she beat Annemiek van Vluten in the Dutch Time Trial Championships mm -hmm. despite having kind of sped over to, to Holland from Switzerland after 
cutting the her, her well finishing the Tour de Suisse. She um, Annemiek van Vluten is a Grand Tour specialist, and you know she's unsurpassed when it comes to winning Grand Tours. So she's got all of that experience behind her, and it's really interesting too that they both had very different approaches to the races. You know, Annemiek van Vluten comes in having only finished the Giro d'Ornay 13 days before the first stage of the Tour de France Femme, whereas Annemiek, uh, sorry, Demi Vollering's been at uh, altitude, uh, taken a break from racing. So. That adds another interesting twist where we just don't know where the two riders, how the two riders compare. Um, it'd be fascinating to find out. And I was going to say that I thought Demi Vollering is the kind of rider that would, you know, just be looking to mop up time bonuses and uh, kind of staged bonuses in the early stages. But as we saw with Annemiek van Vluten too, she's not going to hang around. So it, although this, the course is set up for this kind of GC battle on stages seven and eight, I think we could see the GC battle starting a lot earlier. Well, what do you think, Lizzie? I mean, is there anyone else? We talked about Vollering, we talked about Van Vluten. Is there anyone else that we should be looking at to finish with the yellow jersey in this race? Or, or is it, does it really come down to those two riders? I think that when we're looking at yellow, we're talking about Van Vluten and Vollering. But I do, I do think that we shouldn't overlook Elisa Longaborghini. We didn't really see her full potential at the Giro Donne because she crashed out on the Queen stage. Um, a nasty crash, but thankfully she was okay. Um, she has been up at altitude training again since then. And we know she has an incredibly strong time trial. I feel that her climbing has improved this year because in previous years I wouldn't have um, billed her against those two as a top, top climber on a, on a long climb. But I do think that's improved. She is also one to look for time bonuses, to attack these these sort of, um, you know, uphill finishes on stage two and four, that those kind of more challenging, challenging stages that you were talking about earlier, Denny. Um, so I think we shouldn't rule her out. Well, let's hear from Elisa Longo-Borghini of Little Trek now, shall we? Hey, yeah, ma'am. So, yeah. Um, I mean, a successful tour for Little Trek will be uh, a stage race and a, maybe a stage win and maybe uh, a good place in GC. And uh, I think the um, the key stages of the of the tour will be the Tourmalet and uh, the time trial. And for me specifically, maybe the time trial because yeah, it, it's where I can even gain or lose some places. And uh, yeah, we have surely a strong team uh, in terms of climbing and uh, I think uh, <clears throat> we can even have the advantage on in other stages uh, which are more lumpy um, and where we can play um, yeah, the game uh, with the three of us together with the rest of the team. Uh, surely we don't have to underestimate the team uh, as it works, especially with Vollering and Reusser and um, and Van Vleuten is always the main opponent. And another person is Rihanna Marcus. She's been very quietly improving everything this year. She had a really great Vuelta Femenina and her time trial is incredibly strong at the moment. She had a dominant victory in the Dutch national time trial, which is almost the world championships of time trialing <laughs> yeah. minus Marlon Reuser, isn't it, really? Um, and so I think that even if she lost time on the Tourmalet, 
as long as it wasn't too much, she could pull something special out of the bag on the final stage. So I think we should keep an eye on Rihanna Marcus. Um, but I think that really when we're talking about the serious battle for yellow, we're looking at Van Vluten and Vollering. What about, uh, I mean, Juliette Labou also came out of the Giordano incredibly strong. She's obviously pegged as the French favourite. Can, can she make any inroads? I guess, the, you know, that is also the question is that that third place on the podium, which is still so special yeah. uh, and such a, an elevated thing to get, you know, people are going to want to have that. I mean, we, we're, no, we're suggesting that the whole thing's wrapped up already, but obviously yeah. it, there's, <clears throat> there's so much um, racing to happen. Uh, but that third spot is also a really important one, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm sure it will be closely fought. And as you say, I don't think we should assume that whilst following and Annemiek van der Vluten go into the races, favourites, um, anything can happen, crashes can happen, form changes. Uh, so we shouldn't assume that they're going to run away with it. But yeah, I mean, there are lots of riders that have kind of structured their whole seasons around this race. Um, Cassia Nivodoma, uh, Ashley Mormon. We've got riders like uh, Marta Cavalli. Um, uh, I'm excited to see how, I'm not suggesting she's going to be on the podium necessarily, but a rider like Claire Steeles can do as well, who's climbed so well this year. So I think, and I, mm. I suspect there could be very big time differences on that, on stage seven. And so I, I think one of the big questions for me is just, it feels like a more climber weighted course, despite the time trial at the end, because the the you know having the Aspan and and the Tourmalet back to back, um, I can see someone attacking very early on in that stage and just the race being ripped to shreds. So, you know, a good climber could really thrive. Yeah, I agree with you, Denny, and I I do think that there's a lot of other names who could be fighting for that podium battle. Labus, as you've already mentioned, um, Canyon Shram have an interesting roster because they have. Uh, Elise Chabet, who I expect her to go for the Queen of the Mountains jersey. She's always going for the Queen of the Mountains jerseys, um, unless she's on a specific team role. Um, but they also have Nivia Doma and Ricarda Bauenfeind. Now, Bauenfeind had been climbing incredibly well this season. She'd really sort of surprised herself with what she could do. But she's also got a bit of a question mark, because since the Volta Feminina, she had a knee injury. Um, she has been selected for the Tour de France, so the team obviously have faith that that knee injury is sorted and that she is back in fine fettle. But again, there's a bit of a question mark around her time trial. She was fifth in the U23 um, German National Championships. And then, like you say, Ashley Moorman. We don't know much about Ashley Moorman because we've not seen her racing much, but we do know she's very motivated. We also know that she's unretired for yet another year. She's signed for 2024 with um, AG Insurance Sudal Quickstep. And then when we look at FDJ Suez, you've got kind of a triple whammy. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do there. They've got Cecilia Utrup Ludwig, Marta Cavalli, as well as Evita Music. Now, if I were them, I would focus Utrup Ludwig purely on stage wins. Denny, you were talking about stage four, how there's a really nasty kick up to the line. Now, that is a pure Utrup Ludwig finish. She... She has often been put forward as a pure climber and having been her teammate, I don't believe that that is where her best strengths lie. She's got an incredible kick. We saw her win a stage at last year's tour in a similar kind of finish, very, um, very hard kick up to the line in Epinay. And 
I think, again, they would be better to even have her lose some time so she could be kind of more of a rival in that kind of finish. Cavalli has a big question mark. She lost time in the Giro. We're not really sure about where her climbing form is. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put their money on Evita Music this time. This this time around especially as a french rider she has been climbing very well again a very good performance very impressive performance in la vuelta femenina and as a french rider she will have extra motivation i think to anybody else more outsiders we could talk about um, magnaldi and persico magnaldi was riding very well at the giro donne however i think that this being another level up and having the time trial i think she may struggle um in this race Lizzie, from your perspective, having those, I mean, you talk about UAE ADQ with Persico and Magnaldi, and you talk about FD, FDJ Suez, of course, with their kind of three-pronged attack. With a course like this, is it actually beneficial to have three, to stack your, your roster with three riders that are kind of almost shades of each other? Or, you know, is that going to, I guess that's, it's the Movistar question, the men's Movistar team question, isn't it? The old uh, <laughs> trident of leaders, does that really ever ever work? Um, I don't think so. I think that from the beginning they should be saying that this is our protected rider. If there are any opportunities for bonus seconds, we go with this rider. And with the other riders, they are there for support or for stage win options if if we have them. But I think that, you know, we may see these you know, maybe not for the, the race for yellow, but for the race for the, the podium, we may see these bonus seconds being very critical. We may not, of course, you know, as Denny said, it may completely explode in the Aspan and Tourmalet and may have, you know, gaps of minutes um, between all of the riders. But I think that putting faith in one rider and having everybody else support is definitely the best strategy. Well, we should talk about the other classifications because it's not all about the, the yellow jersey and you know where people finish on GC because actually the green jersey battle could be a really interesting one, uh, particularly on this parkour. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about Charlotte Cool yet, mm. of course. Um, she was on absolute fire at the Belvoir's Tour uh, in Belgium recently. Uh, I think she won three or four stages in a row, and but then she pulled out because of illness and we're not quite clear on where she's at but of course you know as we've seen this season she is the most likely rider to be able to match uh, Lorena Vivas on uh, on the sprint stages and you can imagine with a team like DSM um, Firminish that they are going to be gunning for that jersey so I would expect to see see her up there I think the other thing I was going to say um, Rose is that of course stage one is the opportunity uh, for all the jerseys to be up for grabs for the first time and uh, whilst the green jersey is, is, is up there too we've got the KOM jersey with just one KOM cl uh, uh, climb which is right at the end of the race and the yellow jersey up for grabs and it would be you know, it's going to be a really fascinatingly poised stage because every team in, in the race is going to want to claim a journey on, uh, jersey rather on the first stage. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned Charlotte Coulds being like the only rival, but she's actually really the only sprinter that's actually beaten Lorena Vibus uh, at all, like out and out um, all year. And we actually haven't seen them most more recently, haven't seen them race against each other, um, have we? But um, Lizzie, give us a bit of insight on, on Charlotte and, you know, whether we've seen Lorena climb so well and get over these little bumps uh, and, and make thing, turn things into sprints when they weren't sprints. How does Charlotte Tocqueville compare uh, in that regard? 
Um, I, she's not as good. I mean, like that's that's the matter. That's the fact of the matter at the moment. You know, Vibas is climbing better than any sprinter we've ever seen you know she said herself she feels that SD works have helped her to become a more complete rider this year and she's really happy with how she's progressed on all fronts um and and that's very visible from the outside as well cool does climb pretty well um but but simply not as well as Vibas. I think, you know, when we're looking at sprinters who can get over the climbs, we've already mentioned Balsamo, we could also throw Norsgaard into the mix there. Um, Norsgaard's been climbing very, very well this year. I don't think she can match Vibas in a sprint finish, but there may actually be a climb that Norsgaard could get over that, that Vibas couldn't. So, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out there. I think there's also a big question mark around Grace Brown. And okay, we wouldn't put Grace Brown down as a, as a pure sprinter, but when we're looking at hilly stages where there may be a slightly reduced bunch, Grace Brown is definitely a name that we have to put into the mix. She didn't have the best spring. She struggled a little bit with her form. She was really on fire in Australia, struggled a little bit throughout the spring. She actually returned home to Australia recently for a period to sort of mentally reset in, in the Australian winter, actually, um, before coming back to, to her home in Italy uh, before the Tour de France fam. So if she is back in the form that we expect her in, she could be one of those riders that can challenge on these slightly reduced hilly stages that do end in a group sprint. Sorry, I was also, I should, I, I, I realise I didn't really answer your question properly on the green jersey competition, but also, of course, normally we would uh, be pinpointing Mariana Voss as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a nailed on favourite to win a jersey like that. But of course, since at the Giro Donna, she just didn't seem to be uh, in the form uh, we'd expect her to be. Lizzie was saying, you know, she, she just wasn't where she would normally be. So it will be interesting to see where she's at. You know, stage one would be a stage you'd, you'd think she would be suited to normally. And and she's the kind of rider that could mop up enough points to win that competition. But it's where her form's at. Yeah, and you you know you're right you're right, Denny. I mean, I completely circumvented Rose's question about the green jersey and just went <laughs> off on one about something completely different about Grace Brown's form from the spring. It's but, all right. It's but, not like I'm yeah, here I mean, to you know guide the conversation. The that's all right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we could look past cool, Pfeiffer Georgie could potentially be a rider for the green jersey competition. We know she can climb. We know she can sprint. Now, if you want to go for the Green Jersey competition in a race like this, you need to be thinking about it from the beginning. So with the fact that Charlotte Cool had had some sickness, we don't know what it was, we don't know how it's going to affect her, potentially they'll be thinking actually further ahead and about about Pfeiffer Georgie because I think she could be a really good bet for that competition as well. But she surely, can get over a lot of climbs and she is fast. Surely, Lizzie, that's adding yet another... I mean, DSM already have, you know, Charlotte Cool for the, the sprints, as you say, um, five for Georgie if she was going to go f- for green that's another thing and then Juliette Labou uh, trying to get as high up on on GC surely there's a point where there's too many uh, targets yeah no I agree but I think we just don't know what's going to happen so for instance on stage one um, we've got the Cote de Durtol um, just nine kilometers before the finish I'm completely mangled that so apologies but as you said Denny all of the jerseys are up for grabs and that means that everybody's going to be going hell for leather to get those points for the mountains jersey. So there's every chance that as it goes totally full gas up there, 1.7 kilometers at 7.2%, that the sprinters may get dropped. Now, Georgie's going to have instruction from the team that if Charlotte Cool is dropped, 
you know, Georgie is not going to be told to wait. Georgie is going to be told to stay with the front. And and if she's dropped, that it's her opportunity. If Charlotte Cool is there, she will be leading her out. And so I think that we may see some of the classic sprinters dropped on that first stage. Yes, it's very difficult to balance expectations, but it has to be, this is our plan. And if this doesn't happen, then we do this. And I think that Georgie may be a plan B. And after stage one, everything may get reassessed. Well, let's hear from Team DSM's Pfeiffer Georgie. I think a successful tour for us would be stage wins with Charlotta and doing everything to yeah give Juliet the opportunity to have the best result on GC. I think that a podium is possible for her and I think she had a really strong Giro and showed that she's up there with some of the best climbers uh, in the world. And yeah, I think a hard race suits her and I think the team showed in the Giro that they were all really strong and could support her and yeah make the race in a way that would help Juliet succeed and so I think she comes from that with a lot of confidence I think the team does as well and yeah I think there's yeah a lot of motivation heading into this race yeah I think we've got a really strong team to support both Charlotte and Juliet um, we've got our lead out that we've yeah worked really hard on from training camp throughout all the races this year I think that's really dialed and Charlotte's in yeah really great shape and I think that's really exciting to yeah go for stage wins with her um, we've also got yeah great climbing support and the likes of Esme and Elisa and Leia um, and yeah I think on the days where we've got sprints it's just about keeping Juliet safe um, yeah and relaxed and in control and I think we kind of split the team to make sure that both Charlotte and Juliet are looked after every day whether we're going for GC that day or whether it's a yeah a sprint day and we're going for a stage win and I think yeah the team is really well balanced to do both of those goals at the same time. Well, I, I liked, Lizzie, how you said we just don't know what's going to happen, which we could have saved everyone a good 45 minutes uh, and just <laughs> just opened our Tour de France um, fam uh, preview by just saying we don't know what's going to happen. You're going to have to just uh, watch it, which is uh, a fair enough assessment, I would say. Uh, watch it and listen to us, Rose. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Uh, and you say listen to us. Of course, we're going to have uh, daily coverage uh, from the Tour de France fam. Me and Denny are going to be road trip buddies Denny looks terrified <laughs> well I don't know I, I was the one being accused of being a psychopath uh, uh, <laughs> before before I joined the team so uh, I don't know who should be most terrified but um, yeah no I can't I can't wait to get on the road and uh, and of course we're, we're starting in Clermont-Ferrand which is where the men's uh, stage 11 was uh, not that long ago and then uh, I note it I note that we're traveling through from Pano Chocolat country down to Chocolatine country. So I'm very, uh, very keen to see how the terminology for a Pano Chocolat changes as we uh, <laughs> go south. That's the key question. That's the thing that we're all waiting for. But we are going to have uh, Francois Thomaso is going to um, send in his Francois French flavour. So we're going to have a sense of what we should be eating and drinking and the cultural sites we should be uh, looking out for. Or we could just do like Lizzie did, did and just have sushi. Um, uh, instead, when you went out to the Tour de France, uh, om for the well, podcast, Rose, Lizzie. You know, you know, Lionel was desperate for something non-French uh, for a few days. He had, 
he'd had a bit too much confit de canard, a little bit too much cheese. Uh, and when I suggested, well, what about taking out sushi and sitting on a park bench? Actually, it was it was the park bench that really perturbed him. He said that he just didn't like the idea of sitting in a line. So we managed to, we, we found a brasserie that was closed. We used their tables and uh, cleaned up after ourselves and left, left no trace. And, and then Lionel was very happy with the situation. <laughs> Well, Lizzie, we're hoping that you're going to join us. And, you know, we're very flexible, aren't we, Denny? We can eat in the line, we can eat round a table, we can eat on a a bench. We won't be so uh, particular (laughs) about that. So we're hoping, Lizzie, that you'll be able to join us for some of it um, out on the road uh, as well. That'd be fantastic. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there and uh, say, well, goodbye and see you out in in France. So uh, see you there, Denny. Mm, Au revoir. Ah, very nice. Uh, And Lizzie, we hope to see you there as well. If not, we'll be patching you up on uh, Zoom anyway. Thanks, Rose. Looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to catching up throughout the race. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney.